0: Have a Bible with you. You can open to Psalm 4. The text is also printed in the next page of the bulletin for you. There are some Bibles available on the tables in the back there. If you need one of those, <clears throat> Psalm 4. Uh, there are so we're going through just a series on the Psalms, doing the first several before we start skipping um, uh, skipping Psalms. But uh, we're going to do the first five at least um, before we move on. Uh, There are some similarities here between Psalm 4, which we're looking at this week, and Psalm 3, which was last week. Uh, They both have to do with conflict. They both have to do with conflict. In fact, we're beginning to see a theme that runs throughout the Psalms. So many of the Psalms have to do with conflict. So many of the Psalms have to do with uh, the enemies that we face and the hardships that we face because we're in conflict. I've heard the Psalms generally described as battle songs actually. Um, Psalm 3 had to do more with conflict where uh, where we contributed to the problem. and We're in a mess that's at least partially of our own doing. Uh, Psalm 4 has to do more with conflict where we're uh, wrongfully accused. But both of these see an inner turmoil in this conflict uh, where God is our only help. And so they're, we're going to God for our help through conflict. The Psalms are there so that we can access God's help as we Sing them, that's how they've uh, historically and traditionally been used. Um, That we would access God's help through the psalms as we sing them. We're meant to face the hardships of life in a fallen world with songs in our hearts. And uh, even as ancient poetry on our lips. Singing is good for you. Um, Berta knows this. It has real measurable effects in our lives. Singing is good for you. A few years ago, there was a study done. In Sweden, where scientists discovered that when people sing together, and I think they were um, sort of doing their study with choirs of people, but it's the same, I think, in the church when we sing together. When people sing together, this study showed, uh, scientists discovered, that uh, their heartbeats began to align and to synchronize with one another. <clears throat> it's an interesting effect that nobody would anticipate, probably, but their findings there. They suggest that singing together with others may have certain health benefits. Don't need to go into the findings of that study, but I think that's an amazing feature of singing in general, when we sing together in general, and it helps us to understand the function of how the psalms work in our lives, in particular, when we, when we sing those together, if you will. The psalms are given to us so that we can sing them with Jesus, so that our hearts can synchronize with him, with his heart, as our worship leader. We should become familiar with more of the psalms and musical settings for singing. I think there are a lot of churches that are moving more and more toward this. I think it's good for us, but meditating on them together we'll have to do for the moment. The king is our battle song leader. What does that mean? Let's figure it out. Let's take his words into our hearts. Uh, Let's uh, pray, then we'll read the scripture together. Father, we pray that this word... All of your word would be precious to us, that especially as we come now to consider Psalm 4, you would help us by your Holy Spirit to begin to resonate with um, this psalm, the help that we can get from it as our hearts align with yours. We pray, this, we pray for this help in Jesus' name. Amen. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So King David, this is the Psalm of David. Uh, I think he probably wrote it. So King David had plenty of enemies <clears throat> throughout his life, plenty of enemies uh, who slandered him and spoke evil of him. Even among his own people, there were a lot of people who spoke evil of him, even in his own family uh, who slandered him and falsely accused him. There were even some times in his life when he just didn't deserve it at all, when he had to endure entirely unjust accusations from the people around him. You've probably had this happen in one way or another. Something like this dynamic is true in your life pretty frequently, maybe more frequently than you realize. A boss may have developed a dislike for you and so began to spread unwarranted rumors about you. Or another coworker did that. Maybe somebody's actually called you evil for some good thing that you did. A friend of mine was standing in the grocery checkout line one time, and uh, she was speaking to her children about disciplining them when they got home for their behavior in the grocery store, and someone in line threatened to call Child Protective Services on her. How does that make her feel? What is that like? Sometimes people attack us because they misunderstand our motives. Sometimes they attack us because they disagree with our motives or fundamentally have a different system of values and morals. For example, I think a pretty common one in the church today is if you believe what God says about marriage, that He instituted marriage as a covenant between one man and one woman and that sex is for that special relationship, And only for that relationship, and it's not for any other time, any other relationship, then you might be publicly shamed as a repressive, intolerant bigot. Calling what is good evil. Maybe you've tried to be faithful to God in making some hard decisions. And people close to you, people in the church or people in your family, have have, uh, gossiped about you for it or slandered you for it. For your attempts to be faithful to God in, in making hard decisions. Or maybe... You've been the target of persecution for your faith in Jesus by those who are outside the church. Um, There are a lot of ways in which we have to deal with false accusations. I think in in big or small ways, we're frequently subject to them. And John Calvin, the uh, reformer who lived about 500 years ago, said nothing is more painful to us than to be falsely condemned and to endure wrongful violence and slander. Wrongful accusations, violence, and slander. Nothing's more painful than that. And some version of this is what David is singing about in Psalm 4. He says in verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor or my glory be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? False accusations. Taking what's good about him and flipping it and and speaking evil of him. The king is actually glorious the king here is actually glorious. The goodness of his life is on display, but it's this very goodness, it's this very honor, it's very glory, pretty powerful language there, that is the target of empty words and lies, which are attempts to condemn him and to tear him down and to tear down his glorious reputation. So what do you do when stuff like that happens? Maybe it's not on the level of you're a a king of a nation and people are speaking false accusations about you, uh, but... On a regular basis, I think, we're misunderstood, falsely condemned. Um, so what do you do when that happens? If you're anything like me, you, you get instantly, rabidly defensive. That's what you do, right? You get defensive. I feel the desperate need to clear my name, to resolve any misunderstandings, to get on the same page here, to argue the point, until I win, to virtue signal... Anything to ensure that I get the respect that I believe that I deserve. So that the goodness I feel about myself starts to line up with my reputation and the goodness that you you think and speak about me. In short, my knee-jerk reaction is to justify myself. Self-justification. That's what defensiveness is. In fact, I'm judging myself. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm judging myself. I prefer to be able to make a favorable judgment about myself. And it sure helps when you can confirm my judgment about myself by aligning your words about me with my thoughts about myself. I'm a good person. You should speak well of me so that I can judge myself well, because it really helps when you confirm that judgment. If I'm doing good things here, then you should say good things about me. So I can go on feeling good about myself, which is, of course, the whole point to doing good things in the first place, isn't it? So that I can feel good about myself. When someone... This is what really gets to me about false accusations. They they threaten my self-judgment as it's connected to my reputation. That's the problem with false accusations, isn't it? It threatens my self-judgment. As it's connected to my reputation In others' sight When someone comes along and they lie about my About my fundamental goodness They're lying about it They're turning my goodness on its head I can't stand for that That's just not how the social contract's supposed to work So So I'll actually get angry about it I'll get angry And the worse The unjust accusation The bigger a deal it is To me The angrier I'll get Because I've got my identity I've got my righteousness My justification My judgment My self-judgment All tangled up in that connection between my goodness And what you think about my goodness What you say about my goodness But that's not what the king does When he sings this psalm What does the king do when he sings this psalm? What does the king do when he endures Unjust accusations? He doesn't lash out In self defense, he doesn't desperately try to convince his detractors of his goodness. Say, No, you're wrong. I really am good. Let me show you. He doesn't try to persuade them to align their words properly with his glory. He prays. He prays. That's what this is it's a prayer. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So right here, in the very first verse, is the answer to the whole problem. The answer to our our problem of our our defensiveness, our self-justification, in the face of unjust accusations, false accusations. God of my righteousness, he says. That's how he knows God. That's how he talks to God. God of my righteousness." David, as a believer in this God, not just any God, but the God who's revealed Himself in the Scriptures, as a believer in this God, David knew that his righteousness didn't depend on his reputation. His righteousness didn't depend on his reputation. It didn't depend on what other people were saying about him. His righteousness actually couldn't be threatened. Not really. His righteousness couldn't be threatened even if everyone believed. That he was an evil man Everybody else is set against him Making false accusations and spreading lies about him Doesn't threaten his righteousness Because his righteousness really is an aspect Of your relationship with God And that's all that it is That's what it is Your righteousness is an aspect of your relationship with God In fact, the full Christian view of righteousness Is that your righteousness is a gift from God It's not something that you've generated And presented to God It's something that God has given to you Freely and graciously and declared to you through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the full Christian view of of righteousness. It's actually Christ's own righteousness. Not mine. But Christ's own righteousness, which is imputed to us. It's his own perfect, spotless standing with God that's ascribed to us. I don't deserve that. He deserves it. And he shares it with me. It's his righteousness shared so that we can knowingly pray. We can knowingly pray even better than David did, better than he ever did, to the God of our righteousness. Because the value of our righteousness, this is super important, the value of our righteousness isn't so that we can just feel good about ourselves. That's not why God has given you righteousness in any way, shape, or form, so that you can feel good about yourself. That's not the value of righteousness. The real value of righteousness is so that you can relate to God. So that you can know Him. Be in a relationship with Him. Be secure in that relationship with Him. So we can know that God hears us when we pray. That's the real value. That's the, real, that's the point of righteousness as a gift of God to us. This, this righteousness and this assurance about our relationship with God comes to us as a gift of His grace. It's not something we deserve. It's never a function of our own self-justification. The psalmist says, be gracious to me. That's not something I deserve, calling upon God in his grace, the God of my righteousness. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So in spite of our own reputation in the sight of other people, which is being threatened by false accusations and lies that are being told about us. In spite of our own reputation in the sight of other people, in Christ, God considers us righteous. And he is the only judge, period. He is the only judge. Other people are not my judges. I'm not even my own judge. God is my judge, and what has my judge said? He has declared me righteous in Jesus Christ. David has some sense of all this, and he turns to God in prayer for a settled peace in the matter of his righteousness which has to do with his relationship to God. There are others in the Bible who entrusted themselves to God's judgment like this, too. actually find it in a lot of places in the Scripture. For example, Joseph didn't get defensive when Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. He didn't get defensive even though it landed him in prison. Almost got him killed. Stephen didn't get defensive even when it did get him killed. The Jews stoned him. And he didn't get defensive, he didn't justify himself, and he died. Paul demonstrates this, too, in the New Testament reading that Travis read, 1 Corinthians 4. He says, he's talking to the Corinthians, his relationship with them is uh, a little bit strained. They're saying some bad things about him. People are saying bad things about him in Corinth. And so he says, well, this is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God Moreover, it's required that stewards that they be found faithful But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court In fact, I do not even judge myself I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted Just because I don't know that there's something against me or not That I'm not the judge of myself It's the Lord who judges me It's the Lord who judges me. The Corinthians didn't think Paul was being a faithful minister. That judgment that hit to his reputation didn't threaten him because he he stopped even judging himself. He got down off the bench of the universe and he acknowledged the God of his righteousness as his only judge. So when he engaged with the Corinthians then, a pretty different way of engaging with people when they're making false accusations about you when he engaged with them it wasn't to justify himself to them instead of just defending himself as if they were his judges he could engage with them for their own good that's why he engaged that's how he engaged with the Corinthians who believed all these lies about him He could engage with them for their own good, even though they spoke vain words and lies about him. So, Paul, he got this from the king. Yes, from David, who wrote this psalm, but he got this even more from the king, Jesus. When Jesus was falsely accused, what happened? He didn't lash out in self-defense. He didn't look to justify himself to his accusers. He submitted himself to the judgment of God his righteousness. Matthew 26 says when the chief priests the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus they're looking for lies they're seeking after lies to be told about Jesus so that they might put him to death but they found none though many false witnesses came forward nothing believable nothing that would stick Uh, Though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? Are you going to defend yourself? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. He remained silent. In face of the false testimony, in a mockery of justice, When the only righteous man who ever lived was declared to be a criminal, worthy of death, resulting in his public humiliation and crucifixion, Jesus remained silent. He didn't even open his mouth to defend himself. This lack of defensiveness doesn't make any sense to us. That's not my normal experience. We look at Jesus as absolute silence in the face of death by, fight, by false witness. The false witness is here, it's going to kill him. The only one who never deserved anything like that, and we wish we could yell at him, get up and defend yourself. Don't just stand there while they spread all those lies about you. You're innocent. Let him have it. Right? But it says in 1 Peter, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He knows who his judge is. Even Jesus, the righteous one, didn't justify himself before his accusers. He didn't look to them as his judges. He didn't even judge himself Even Jesus. But submitted himself to God's judgment alone. So when he engaged with his accusers, it wasn't to destroy them. It wasn't to destroy them in anger. It wasn't to justify himself. It was to make God known to them for their relationship. The king who sings this psalm, he gets angry at injustice. Just like... He should get angry at any injustice, but he doesn't angrily defend his own righteousness in order to set his opponents straight. That's not what he does. He appeals to them to come to a true knowledge of God, the God of his righteousness, and to know, to come to know the one true Judge. That's what it says in verse three. He's talking to the people who are make, making false accusations about him and ruining his reputation. Know, you know. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. You need to come to know that. So Derek Kidner said that um, God's choice of someone, which is what's happening here, the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. He's the one who reconnects you in relationship to Himself with a righteousness that can't be threatened by anyone. God's choice of someone for the fellowship, for Himself, is the ultimate answer to the most wounding of aspersions and discouragements. So the king actually cares that his opponents come to know that. He actually cares that they change. They come to know this, that they'd come to know the God who is the one who sets us apart for himself, for relationship with himself. He actually cares that his opponents would come to know that the God of our righteousness... The God who's the only just judge is the one who claims us for himself, who welcomes us into a secure relationship and listens and responds to our prayers. You can really have a relationship with God because of him, because of his grace. And, and the king wants his opponents to know that. Jesus is the only one who can really pray a prayer like this. The only reason God hears me, then, the only reason I fit into this category of people who have been set apart for, for God and that the, that the Lord hears when I call on Him, the only reason God hears me is because I call on Him by faith in the name of Jesus Christ, who's the only one who can pray this prayer. God hears Jesus, therefore He hears me when I come in Jesus' name. God counts Jesus righteous, therefore God counts me as righteous in his name. That's how God sets people apart for himself, for relationship with himself. In Christ, the only truly righteous one. He's, God is the judge who judges you righteous in Christ, who justifies you. That's how righteousness works. That's the only way righteousness works. And God even wants his, his opponents to know that. That really makes a difference for how you approach unjust accusations without getting angrily defensive, without just being self-justifying. Somebody's speaking lies about you, getting on your case about something you didn't do, or turning your good into evil. You can engage with them, not just without getting angrily defensive, you can even engage with your accusers for their own good. That's what you can do. Because the king goes on to sing in verse 4, Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Who's he talking to? The people who have made false accusations about, about him. He's helping them learn this dynamic of trusting in the one true judge, the God of my righteousness. You can be angry at the injustice of false accusations, but don't sin. And you sin when you invest your accusers with that role of judge of your life. You sin when you you take the judgment into your own hands. You sin when you grab the power and the office of judgment away from God and you give it to other people or you take it for yourself. Don't do that. When you when you get angry because of false accusations, don't lash out in self-defense, don't judge yourself, don't look to justify yourself in your reputation. Wrestle through it in reflection on the gospel. Wrestle through it. Um, Paul quotes this passage when he says in Ephesians 4, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You might not be able to reconcile yourself to everybody that has made false accusations, or you've got a broken relationship, or you're angry at them for some reason. It's not actually saying you go and fix that relationship before you go to sleep every night. Maybe you can't do that. But you sure can wrestle through your anger about it. And you could be done with it. You can deal with it before the Lord before you close your eyes each night. And so Jerome said a long time ago, the guy who translated the scriptures into Latin to be angry is human. To put an end to one's anger as Christian. So, put an end to your anger. Don't let it take a foothold in your heart, leading you to the sin of usurping God's place as judge. That means submitting yourself to God's judgment. Only. Always. Period. End of story. Submitting yourself to God's judgment. Not to justify yourself before God, but to receive His judgment. Receive his justification. Because your life is meant to be lived Godward. Not before the eyes of other people, as if they were your judges, but Godward. That's how your life is supposed to be lived. And so the psalmist says in verse 5, Offer sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Stop living just in fear of other people. Let that relationship dictate your reality. Offer sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Live your life before the God of your righteousness. Live it from God and to God and with God and for God. Don't live a good life in order to feel good about yourself. It's not what righteousness is. It's not sacrifices of righteousness. So you can just feel good about yourself. God tells you what true righteousness is. God tells you what it's for. He's the one who gives it to you. Entrust yourself to him. Entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Rest in his favorable judgment of you in Christ and don't worry about what others say about you as if their judgment of you were the real good that you were living for. You can't actually manage your reputation in their sight. You can't do it anyway. It's impossible. And it's a living hell when you make someone other than God your judge. Trying to get a favorable judgment from others as if that's the good that you were living for. Trying to get a favorable judgment from others is a miserable way to live. When the God of your righteousness has already set you apart for himself in a way that can't be threatened, can't be changed, can't be undermined. Psalmist says in verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Many people desperately looking to others to get good from them, to get a good favorable judgment even, to live in order to get good ratings from other people. But the one who trusts in Christ knows that God has already looked favorably upon us. And this is all that we need. That God has already looked favorably upon us. He continues, Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. It's that ironic. Aaronic, not ironic, Aaronic priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So all the best, most pleasant circumstances in life cannot compare to the deep, unassailable, limitless joy in your heart When you have seen the light of God's face shining upon you, your just judge, the God of your righteousness, smiling upon you in Christ. That's what that means. If you're stuck in the cycle of defensiveness, you hear a false accusation, and you just rabidly, angrily lash out in defensiveness and self-justification, if you're stuck in that cycle, the best you can hope for is material distraction, to take your mind off of it. Because you're never going to get anywhere in that cycle. The best you can hope for is material distraction. To take your mind off of it, a good crop. Worldly success. Something earthly and temporal to, uh, to celebrate. So you don't have to think about this, these false accusations that are against you. But knowing that the God of your righteousness, he has graciously set you apart for himself, for a relationship with himself, that no one can threaten. And He hears your prayers, knowing that you can bear up under all kinds of false accusations, all kinds of misunderstandings, all kinds of bad reputations. When people misunderstand the church, they misunderstand you as a Christian, it's okay. It's not okay, but you can bear up under it. You can even endure these things with the fruit of the Spirit, with joy in your heart, and with peace. And with love for your opponents, helping them to engage with God, not just angrily getting defensive and lashing back at them. Verse 8, in peace, another fruit of the Spirit, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You alone. If others are your judges, or if you're your own judge, you will have no peace. You'll have no joy you'll have no fruit of the Spirit at all. You can never rest if you've constantly got to convince everyone else of your own spotless record so that you can feel good about yourself and come up with a good self-judgment. There's no rest in that. But with God in Christ, your justification, your righteousness, your judgment... It is safe, it is secure, which is the only truly restful place to be. So let the King teach you and lead you in this song. Let your heart be synchronized with his. Entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Find your rest in the God of your righteousness and let him change the way that you face false accusations in this world. Amen. Let's pray.